And if you weren't here earlier as we were getting started, happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. Uh, I am very thankful for the men in this church. I feel like God has blessed us with a credible group of men who love the Lord and who want to lead their families well and who want to help each other do that. And uh, I am encouraged by you and uh, encouraged in my own walk and my own leading of my family by so many of you. So thank you, and I hope you have a wonderful day and get in a good after-church nap. I say after-church nap, not during sermon nap. So just want to clarify. Father, this morning I ask that you would cause the words of my mouth to be pleasing to you and acceptable to you. And I ask God as well that you would cause the meditations of our hearts as we look at your word to also be pleasing to you, to be meditations and thoughts that are in line with your word and your spirit. As Scott has already said, this is a hard word that you give us today, but I pray that by a hard word you would soften our hearts and that you would be pleased by the fruit and the outcome of our lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as we look at this passage, I want to remind us of the context because context is so important to what Peter is telling us and what Scott has just read. And the context that he has been laying for us the last few weeks is who we are. Before he's ever told us what we should do, He has spent time telling us who we are and what our identity is. And I've said to you many times that when we really understand and know who we are, then we will know what we're supposed to do and we will be motivated toward it. So he has told us, for example, in chapter 2, verse 5, he has said that we are like living stones, that we're being built up as a spiritual house a holy priesthood, and our purpose is to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God, and part of our spiritual sacrifices is obedience to God. He's also told us, for example, in verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. This is who we are. A spiritual house, a royal priesthood, a chosen, royal, holy people for God's own possession. This is who we are, and everything we do is sourced in this. And so we get to verse 13, part of the instructions of what we do as the people of God. And it is not what we would expect, because if we are all of these things... In our mindset, especially in our American mindset, the greatest of people are those who have others serving them, who are over others. And yet, we're told exactly the opposite. Be subject. That's really the theme of today. That's really the big picture of this passage. Be subject. And this is not a new thought even though this is the beginning of a different sermon, but this is a continuation of last week in verse 12, where he told us, because of all these things that you are, keep your conduct 
among lost people, among the world. Keep your conduct honorable. Have honorable behavior that they can't speak against. Why? Because when they do speak against you, when they call you evil, they might see your good deeds and they might glorify God on the day that God visits them or the day of His visitation in their lives. And so this is a continued thought of how you and I keep our conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. This is how or one of the ways that we behave in this world in such a way that God is glorified, even if people speak evil against us. Be subject. That word subject, it means to be submissive. And that's what I named this sermon today, be in submission. Be subject means be submissive. Being submissive usually implies being obedient to an authority. Fun stuff, right? We really like that. From the moment we're born and a toddler to the moment we are old and and passing away into eternity, we love the idea of submitting ourselves to authority. That was a lot of sarcasm in case you didn't pick up on that. Let me give you a few verses to just back up my premise that being subject means being submissive. This word is used throughout the New Testament. For example, Luke 2.51, Jesus was submissive to his parents as a young man. Same word. Luke 10.17, demons were subject to the 72 disciples that Jesus sent out. Same word. James 4.7, submit yourself to God. Same word. Be subject. So before we ever get to this text about what Peter is saying specifically to us, I want to spend a little bit of time just thinking through the idea of submission from a biblical place. So if you are a note taker, if you had one of your worship guides this morning, there's a life truth that we're going to start with today. That life truth is this. There are three foundational keys to understanding our call to submission, which is throughout the Bible. There are three foundational keys to understanding our call to submission. In other words, if we don't understand these three things, if we don't grasp them, we will never understand why God is calling us to submit, and we will never do it. The first is the authority of God. The second is the model of Jesus. And the third is the identity of a Christ follower. The authority of God, the model of Jesus, the identity of a Christ follower. Let me say a couple of brief things about each of these. First, the authority of God. This is the key, number one, foundational truth to not only why we are called to submit, but how we actually do it. God reigns over the nations. Psalm 47 that Lisa opened up for us this morning That is what his word says. God reigns over the nations and the leaders of the earth belong to him. God is in control. There is never a moment where he is not. He has all authority. 
And Romans 13 tells us that in God's wisdom, He has instituted authority on the earth. As a matter of fact, Romans 13 says exactly this, There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Authority on the earth in a civilized society is not man's creation. It was God's. He instituted that idea. And he takes ownership of that. Not just the good leaders, but the bad. And what I mean by that is you see throughout Scripture that God ordains good leaders as a blessing, and sometimes he ordains bad leaders as discipline. But he takes ownership for all of that, not for what they do, because God is never culpable for sin, but he takes ownership that all authority is from him. We have to know and understand that. I was struck by those words in the song that we sang just a moment ago, the last one. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel and shall not faint. Church, nothing... Nothing, nothing will stop the gospel, ever. No authority on earth has the power to make the gospel kneel to them. No authority on earth has the ability to stop the gospel, cause it to faint, or cause it to fade. God has all authority. He alone is sovereign. The second foundational key is the model of Jesus. Jesus practiced submission to his Father in heaven who has all authority. Jesus submitted himself to the Father. Not only did he submit himself to the Father, though, Jesus on the earth submitted himself at various times to human beings. He submitted his schedule when he was going somewhere, he was going to do something, and someone came and stopped him and stopped his day, inconvenienced him and what he was going to do, and Jesus would go with them or Jesus would spend time with them. There was a time in Scripture where religious leaders came and they asked his disciples, they asked Jesus, they said, hey, you know, everybody, all the Jews, they pay a temple tax. You guys do that? You guys going to pay the temple tax? Or is your followers going to pay the temple tax? And Jesus ask a question about the legality of a son having to pay a tax to his father, which was not part of Jewish law. But then he told his disciples, so that we don't offend them, we'll pay the tax. And he went and had his disciples fish, and they found a tax or coin to pay the tax in the fish's mouth. I'm sure we would all love for that to be what Jesus does to help us pay our taxes. But when he was asked, should they pay taxes to Rome? He said, bring me a coin. Whose face is on it? Caesar's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Jesus practiced submission. Jesus suffered without demanding his rights. Often when we submit, we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer in some way. And Jesus did that without demanding his rights. As a matter of fact, I think it's in the text next week, we are told that to 
Suffer for doing good and endure that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It pleases God to see His people willing to suffer for doing good and endure it. And, verse 22, excuse me, verse 21, it says, For to this we've been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in His steps. So number one is the authority of God. No one has authority over Him. He's established authority. Secondly is we model what Jesus, we do what Jesus modeled for us, which is we practice submission to God and to others. And then third, the third identity is the third foundational truth of submission, key foundation, uh, foundational key for submission is identity as a Christ follower. I've tried to build this up for you for several weeks to say this to us over and over. When the Bible calls you to submit, it is not calling you to be weak. You are not submitting in weakness. You are spiritually the strongest people on earth. And one day, we will reign on the earth. And as I said last week, we will judge even angels, the Bible says. But today, we are not submitting out of weakness. We are submitting out of strength out of meekness, out of humility, to be like Jesus. So today, as we go through this text, look for the authority of God, the model of Jesus, and the call that we have as a Christ follower to be like Him. Because those are the foundational keys for why Peter, why God through Peter is calling us to submit. Let me say three other things about submission. Number one, In your notes, biblical submission in various forms is ordered in every season of life. Biblical submission in various forms is ordered in every season of our life. This is something that those of us who are in this room and are older already know. This is something that those of us in this room who are younger would rather not believe. But the reality is there is never a time in your life that the Bible will not call you to be in submission. It is It is a false idea that when we leave our parents' house, now we're free and we're our own boss and we can just do what we want to do. No, the Bible will call us to submission in all of our life. Look at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution or every institution ordained for people. Now, Peter is going to give us three examples of what he means by this. He's going to talk about governing authorities today. Next week, he's going to talk about masters and slaves. And the third week, he's going to talk about marriage. And those are three examples he's going to give of how we practice submission in every institution ordered for people. But the word every broadens this beyond just these three things. This is not just about how we relate to governing officials or how we relate to a job, or how we relate to one another in marriage. This is every human institution. In His authority, God has ordained authority. He's a God of order. He's established authority that we would submit to it. There's no season in your life where you will not be asked in some way to submit to a legitimate human authority. When your child is to your parents... Not just honor them, but submit to what they want you to do. And one day you move out of their house. You still are to honor them, but you're not called to submit to what they ask you to do. But you will be in a church. 
You will be in your office or your workplace. You will be in your school or your college. You will be in volunteer organizations that you are a part of. In every area of your life, there will be someone who is in authority that you're asked to submit to. One of the first things that I ever did at Agape in service was uh, when Hurricane Katrina came through, the church here organized a team to go to New Orleans and work with Samaritan's Purse, rebuilding some homes. Actually, we were cleaning out homes in New Orleans. And I remember to this day being in that back nursery hallway, getting ready to go out the side door and get in the van, and the pastor of the church stopping us and saying, before we get on the van, I I just want to say this to us. I want us to remember that we are going to work for them. They are going to be in charge of what we do. We may not like what they ask us to do. We may not like the team that we're put on. We may not think they're doing it the best way, but this is their organization, and we are going to submit to them and do what they ask us to do. We're going to serve them. And you know what? We needed that reminder all week because it didn't go the way that we thought, and and we weren't at times asked to do things that we thought was the most efficient thing. In every season of our life, we will be asked to submit. And the second thought, biblical submission, is sometimes required even when the other party lacks correct judgment. Biblical submission is sometimes required even when the person we're submitting to lacks correct judgment. I want you to think about this, okay? God is the supreme authority. Which means we only obey a human institution as long as they are not telling us to sin. If a human institution is telling us to do something that is against God's written word, then we humbly and honorably say no. And we get a picture of this in Acts 3 where Peter, who years before he wrote this letter, was told, stop preaching about Jesus with John. And Peter said to those who were in authority telling him to not preach about Jesus, well, you'll have to decide if we should please you or please God. But our decision is that we have to please God. So if a human institution asks you to do something that is sinful, we humbly say no. But the reality is we will often be asked to do things that are not sinful, they're just things we don't agree with. They're things that we don't think are best. They are things that we would judge to be incorrect rules or foolish policies. I'll give you a couple of examples from Scripture. In a few, in a couple of weeks, we'll study 1 Peter 3, where he instructs wives that if they have an unbelieving husband they should still submit to their husband as long as he's not asking them to do anything sinful. Even if he's an unbeliever, they should submit to them because their submission and honorable conduct may win them over to the gospel. There's a lot of godly men in this room, and we make bad judgments sometimes. 
and our wives are still asked to submit to our spiritual leadership. I guarantee you, if you have a husband who is not a believer, there will be many times they will make incorrect judgments. Yet the Bible still says, be submissive to them. Or how about 1 Peter 2.13, what we just read, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him. Who was the emperor that we've talked about when Peter wrote this letter? Nero. He's not writing this at the time of this incredible godly leader who loves Jesus and is wanting everybody to know the gospel. He's writing about Nero. He's saying, as long as he's not asking you to sin, be subject to this man who's a very ungodly man. God gave this command when you have a morally upright leader and when you have a leader who is not morally upright. The command is the same. And just as I believe God protects a wife submitting to her unbelieving husband, he protects her in that submission, even if the husband makes the wrong decision. I believe God protects his people even when we have to subject ourselves to a human institution that has flawed judgment. Biblical submission is sometimes required even when who we're submitting to doesn't have correct judgment. And the third statement I want to make about submission is that biblical submission is disdained by our flesh, yet profitable for our soul. It is disdained by our flesh. It is profitable for our soul. I don't think I have to tell you the first part of that. The opposite of being submissive is being rebellious, or what the Bible would call disobedient. And it is listed in the New Testament, being disobedient, as a characteristic of the flesh. It is listed alongside things such as lovers of self, arrogant, abusive, envious, hateful, unfit for good works, disobedient. At the root of disobedience, at the root of refusing to be submissive to authority, is self. I don't want to do that. I don't think they're a very good leader. I don't think they're a very good boss. I don't think they're a very good person. I don't want to submit to what they say. I would do it better. There's a better way. If they would listen to me, they wouldn't be so foolish. At the root of not willing to be submissive is self, while at the root of submission, at the root of submission is a spirit that is humble and contrite and meek. It acknowledges that God has all authority to set up authority. And it is willing to put God first and other people first, even at the sake of self. And what I want you to know this morning is that while it is painful to our flesh to have to submit, especially to leaders or bosses or anyone who's in a position of authority that we don't respect or approve of, while it's deadly and painful to our flesh, it is actually very good for our soul. It builds us up in our faith. Because why are we doing it? 
to please God. God, this isn't what I want to do. I'm doing it to please you. And we are built up in that. So let's look a little bit at the text with those ideas in mind about submission. And I've put in your notes, God's own people, and I've remind, I'm reminding us, we are chosen, we are royal, we are holy, and here is what we see, that God's own people, these people identified as His people for His own possession, that He has chosen, who are a royal priesthood and a holy nation, Here's what the Bible shows this people should do. Number one, God's own people practice submission to glorify God. We practice submission to glorify God. Preach this to your soul. I do this for God's glory. I submit myself to this person or this law, or this policy, not because I agree with it, not because I think it's best, but it's not sinful, and therefore, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to trust God, and in doing so, the Bible says I'm going to glorify Him. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake. Why do I do this? For the glory of God. Everybody is going 95. Why am I going to go 70? For the glory of God. Why are you driving so slow, Dad? For God's glory, kids, be quiet. We'll get there in a little bit. God gave a purpose to governing authorities. It is generally to help people. Let's read verse 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him. I think what that means is high authority or low authority. Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. The general purpose God is giving to any authority is help people. Punish evil, praise good, especially governing authorities. They are not always going to do that perfectly. Human authority will always have some level of corruption to it because we have corrupt natures. We're not always going to agree with their judgment on what good is, and that is a very huge issue that we wrestle with. But the Bible presents it this way. Submit for God's glory unless they ask you to sin. Submit to God's glory. Submit to them for God's glory, unless they ask you to sin. And you say, but they're getting it really wrong, and God says, I will judge them. See, that's the thing. God is going to call every human leader and authority to account. Every one of them. But it's His to judge, not ours. We're told, submit for His glory, and unless they ask you to sin, God will judge them. Now, here's what we do. We add a step. We add some questions in. Well, what are they asking me to do? Is that warranted? Is that necessary? Is that for the best? 
what is their real motive here? What are they really after? What are they really trying to get me to do? And then after we answer those questions, then we decide if we're going to submit or not. When the kids were younger, my, my kids will get this illustration. Um, there was a place we visited a lot for rest and recreation. We'd go camping. And this, this was not true camping. It's not like the kind of camping that some of you men in this room would do. It was more glamping, as they call it. But it was a really nice place. It had a couple of outdoor pools and indoor pools. Some of you have been there before. And it also had a hot tub. My kids loved the hot tub. And that was always where I was because that pool was really cold, whether it was indoor or not. They said it was heated, but they lied. But anyway, there was a sign above the hot tub that had hot tub rules. No one under the age of 18 allowed. This was a point of contention and wrestling for many years. Every single trip, my kids would ask, can I get in the hot tub? And every single trip, I would think, I don't know why they can't get in this hot tub. I'm really fine with it. It's not going to kill them. It's not even going to hurt them. There's nothing magic about 18 that makes it okay for you to get in a hot tub. You're 18, it's safe now. Like, it's okay. I mean, if they're one, two, I get it. I think I could be the judge of whether my kids could get in a hot tub or not. This was every single trip. And every single trip, I would try to stand firm. Guys, it's their property, it's their rules. And we really just need to do what they're saying. And I'll admit to you, I I wasn't always perfect. Sometimes I would say, well, you can put your feet in. There's always going to be very small things that we're asked to submit in. When no one's around and no one's looking and no one will know. There was never anybody near this hot tub. Ever. We were completely private in knowing whether or not we were obeying. Our life's going to be filled with things like that. But what I do believe is that the small things prepare us for the big things. We weren't ready last year. We weren't prepared for this pandemic. And I'm not talking about medically. I'm not talking about supply-wise. We were not ready for our lives to completely stop the way we knew them and be told to go in a completely different direction. We weren't ready for that. And to be fair to us, it happened in a short period of time. And things were going at breakneck speed and there was conflicting information. I mean, it that is true of us. But we weren't ready to know how to handle being told that life as we knew it needed to change. I would submit to you this morning that some of our struggle last year, and even now perhaps, in these big things we were asked to submit to, the core wrestling of our struggle might be because we have not been practicing submission in little things. And our hearts weren't ready for that. 
I hope that this pandemic filters out. I hope we never go through another one. I'm not sure that is a feasible thought in all of our lifetimes. But I can guarantee you this. If the Lord doesn't come back beforehand, all of us are going to be faced with some type of situation like that again where we are going to be asked to submit to things we do not want to be. And my hope for us as a people is that we will be more prepared to be bold, to be bold to disobey if it's sin, to be bold to engage in quiet, humble, civil disobedience if we're told to do something that is against the Bible. But I hope we're also ready to be humble and submissive if it is not sinful, but it is simply inconvenient or unwarranted. Because that's really not the question before us. Otherwise, if we refuse to submit not because it's sinful, but because it is inconvenient and unwarranted, we harm the gospel for the sake of self. We harm our testimony about the gospel because of us. And our submission to what God has set up glorifies Jesus to the nations, and it pleases the Father. God isn't glorified by Christians walking up to a business that says, don't come in here unless you have a mask on. And we talk about how stupid they are and how we're not going to do that. God's not glorified by that. It's just not. I'm not making a commentary on whether I agree with it or not. I'm simply saying God isn't glorified by that. And what is at stake is His glory, not our rights. And you can take it and apply that to any aspect of our life. God is glorified when we subject ourselves to human institutions for His purposes and His glory. God's own people will practice submission to glorify Him. God's own people will use their freedom gained for them by Jesus to honor and do good to everyone they can. God's own people use the freedom gained for them by Jesus to honor and do good to everyone they can. So let's look at verses 15 through 17. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. We're told here, live as people who are free. I want to drill down on that for a moment because this is where our gospel core comes in. If you have a Bible this morning, would you go over to Titus for a moment? 
If you have a Bible, would you go to Titus? And by the way, if you are here this morning and you do not have a Bible, we would love to give you one as a gift from our church. So if you'll see me or see Nick before you leave today, and we will gift you with a copy of God's Word. But I want to, I want to look at this kind of parallel teaching from Titus chapter 3. Remember that Paul is writing to this man named Titus as he's helping set up things in churches and how they should be. And so listen to these instructions in Titus chapter 3, verse 1. And we're going to go down through verse 8, I believe. Remind them, so remind the church, be submissive to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. Be ready for every good work. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle. And show perfect courtesy toward all people. Wow, that was a lot. We could spend a lot of days there. And maybe those are things we should meditate on. But why are we told to do that? Why are we told to be obedient, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be ready for every good work, to not talk evil about anyone, to avoid quarreling and be gentle and just try to be courteous to everyone? Why? He tells us the answer, four. And here's the gospel. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. We are saved by the gospel, God's loving kindness, because He was rich in mercy toward us, and He has caused us to be born again and renewed us through the Holy Spirit. That is freedom. Church, that's that's our freedom. But now we are not like we used to be. But now we are not like we would have been had we not been saved. That is freedom. We are free from sin. We are free from sinful nature. So what do we do with that freedom? Good works. He says, preacher, Titus, apostles, insist on these things. Insist on these things. Insist that they be submissive to rulers and authorities. Assist, insist they be obedient. Insist they be ready for every good work. Insist that they speak evil of no one. Insist that they avoid quarreling. Insist they be gentle. Insist that they show perfect courtesy toward all people. Because those who have believed in God should be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are the good works. Now I want you to imagine the people who first heard this. I want you to remember that in the time of Jesus, the Jewish people hated the occupation by Rome. 
there were actually zealots, Jewish zealots who were fighting using guerrilla-type warfare against Rome. And when Jesus appeared, many of them refused to follow Him. And their reason for refusing to follow Him was because He didn't offer them the freedom they wanted. They wanted political freedom. And they understood that the Messiah was going to come. When they read the Old Testament, they, they noticed the Messiah was going to come, judge the oppressor, and release the poor. But what they failed to realize was that the first oppressor that had to be dealt with was not Rome or a political authority, but sin. So Jesus came to judge the oppressor on the cross. He absorbed God's judgment. He gained victory over Satan in the resurrection. And He set everyone who believed in Him spiritually free. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. So when Rome came to arrest him, Peter, who wrote this letter telling us to submit to authorities, drew a sword and attacked. And Jesus told him, put it up. Sheave your sword. It's not time. He submitted himself to the Romans knowing it was God's plan. In church today, we still live in a time where we've been told to put up the sword. Because we battle in this life. But the weapons of our warfare are spiritual, not physical. Pray for your leaders. Pray for those who are in positions of high authority. Bless those who persecute you. Do good to those who are evil. Our weapons of our warfare are different. One day, the political freedom is going to come. Christ is returning as conquering king, and he will rule the earth, and we will rule with him. But until then, we battle spiritually, not physically. So Peter, in First Peter, calls us to freedom. He calls us to submission, and not just submission, but to honor. He doesn't just say, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. He also says, honor the emperor. Honor everyone. Honor means consider someone valuable and treat them graciously. Show perfect courtesy to all people. If you've been here for a while, you know that my stance is to be as apolitical as I possibly can in my teaching, in my preaching, in the way that I shepherd. Because I do not want politics to be a stumbling block to people coming to know Jesus. And I don't want that to be a stumbling block. It's a characteristic of this church. I have political views as most of you do. But the number one most important thing is Jesus and the gospel, and that's what I focus on. But having said that, I would say this, what I'm about to say, I would have said two administrations ago. I would have said it in the last administration, and I will say it now in this administration. The gospel is not helped when we berate and belittle our leaders, when we make fun of them or we hate them. When we call them names or we talk about how dumb they are, when we belittle them in any way, God is not glorified in that and the gospel is not helped by that. No one is going to get saved because of that. We don't bring glory to God by belittling and dishonoring those we disagree with. Disagree when it's against the Word. Absolutely. 
But we can disagree with respect. In Christ, we're free. Celebrate that. Live as people who are free. But don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Use your freedom to spend your life trying to honor and do good works whenever you can. Call a spade a spade. Call a sin a sin. Yes, I preached about that last week. If we don't do that, we're being complicit. But we can speak truth and respect people and show them courtesy. And we can show that to our leaders whether we agree with them or not. Two more, the people of God see good citizenship on earth as a way of advancing the kingdom of Christ. We see, as God's people, good citizenship on earth as a way of advancing the kingdom of Christ. So look at what it says in verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Let me read it a different way. For this is the will of God, that you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We actually like it that way. (laughs) Now here's my point. What is the ignorance of foolish people? It is ignorant to call what God says is good, evil. It is ignorant to call the people of God who are trying to follow God evil. That is ignorant. It should be put to silence. Absolutely. That is not up for debate. The question is, how do we silence the ignorance of foolish people? And God says we do it by doing good. Not by arguing them down. Not by returning hate for hate. But by doing good. God ordains our good works, specifically our submission to things that are not sinful, as a means to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It's very much what he said last week in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that even when they call you evil, they might see those good works, they might be saved, they might glorify God. So church, be good citizens. Submit even to little things, even to little things that don't make sense. And submit to big things even if they're not warranted, as long as they're not sinful, and do so so that as good citizens, we might glorify God. Get involved in organizations as God leads you to. Get involved in things in our society as God leads you to. And glorify God in those organizations. Do good in those organizations that He might be glorified. And then finally, the people of God fear and worship Him alone. The people of God fear and worship Him alone. This verse 17 is kind of a summary. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the emperor. Notice notice that wording. Fear God, honor the emperor. I want you to remember that Rome at that time wanted the emperor to be feared and worshipped. And Peter is saying, you don't fear the emperor. You don't worship the emperor. The truth is, we sometimes worship a political party, an elected official, when we really agree with them. And we tend to hate those that we don't really agree with. 
And we're told, don't fear or worship an emperor or any human leader. Don't fear and worship your pastor. Don't fear and worship your boss. Don't fear and worship the person leading your mission trip. Honor them. Fear God alone. So here's how I think the summary goes. Love God and love people. What does that look like? Honor everyone. Every person on earth is worthy of your respect as an image bearer of God. No matter their sin or their status, they're worthy as an image bearer of God to be honored. Honor everyone, but love the brotherhood. Love strongly and deeply the church, the believers. Fear God. Submit to Him. Do what He says. Tremble at His word. And no one else. Honor those in authority over you. Don't fear them. Don't worship them. Honor them. Do your best to be a good citizen and submit to them unless they're asking you to sin. The correct stance in life is worship God and be good citizens as a means of advancing God's kingdom because the gospel will not bend to anyone. But let people see the gospel as it is through us, as we humbly submit for the Lord's sake. I want to ask if our worship team, as well as our prayer ministers for today, would come up. Our prayer ministers are going to gather over here on my left, and our worship team is going to come up. And as they do, I want to read a closing passage. So if you have a Bible, go to Romans chapter 6. This is going to be our closing passage today as we get ready to worship together again through song and prayer. I want to ask you this morning to focus on the reality that the Bible says we are called to freedom. We are called to live as free people. Listen to this from Romans chapter 6, verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. In other words, before you were saved, you were free to do whatever you wanted to do. And you didn't have to worry about what God said or what was right or wrong. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? What did it, what good did it do you? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves of God. And the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, which is eternal life. True freedom is not being your own God. True freedom is submitting to the only God. Being your own God is fun to your flesh. But the end of it is death. But submitting to God and being set free from sin leads to growing in holiness and eventually to eternal life. 
I want to ask you this morning, what's enslaving you besides God? What do you need freedom from today? Is it spiritual freedom? Have you been saved and submitted yourself to Jesus? If not, would you allow today to be the day you respond to God's call? I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm not asking you if you believe in the existence of God or even His Son. I'm asking, have you followed Christ that you might be set free from sin? If not, would you submit to Him today? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Come talk to me. Come talk to Nick. Do so before you leave today that we might speak with you and pray with you. Be baptized as a proclamation of your faith. But if you're walking with Jesus, is there a place in your life that you don't see freedom? Is there a place in your life right now that you're enslaved? Is there a place in your life that you don't see freedom? Is there a place in your life where you're enslaved to a sin, to a fear? To depression? Would you come today and ask for freedom from God? Would you kneel where you are and pray? Would you come up here and pray if you are so led? Or would you come to some of our prayer partners? we got men and women over here who will pray with you and ask for that freedom. If you are willing and able to stand, will you do so? I want to ask us in response to God's Word today to worship and pray. Let God lead you on what you do. Maybe you want to go pray for someone in this room. Maybe you want to sing with all your heart to the one who has set you free. Maybe you want to come and be prayed for. Don't be ashamed in that. The Bible tells us pray for one another. Exhort one another every day. If today is the day God is setting you free spiritually, be bold. Come and talk to me. I'm not going to introduce you to everybody. We'll just talk. Father, I ask you this morning that you would bring freedom. It is needed. Bring freedom to us, freedom in this place. God, you have asked of us a hard thing to our flesh. God, make us soft people in our hearts, ready to glorify you in any way you ask of us. God, let us be bold and courageous to face this world with truth and not be complicit. But God, let us be gracious and kind and courteous to all as we're being bold. Your kingdom has come. It's come near to us. One day we will see political freedom and Jesus will reign on the earth. Until then, God, help us to advance the kingdom in the way you've asked us to. And let us see the fruit of sanctification. God, would you bring freedom here? Would you speak to hearts in this room? Would you cause people to come and ask for miracles, to ask for freedom? Would you cause us to be saved and born again and baptized? Would you set us free by submitting ourselves to you? In your name I ask these things, God. Please move among us now. Please, God. 
Amen. I just want to say something before he does the announcements. When I, we were singing, um, I just want to acknowledge the, the difficulty of knowing in this world and the times we live in how to balance, forget I said balance, it's not balance, how to navigate the world we live in today full of truth and full of grace. It may be the most difficult thing we do or ever do. And I just want to acknowledge that. And I want to say to us as a church that it is a worthy pursuit to figure out what that looks like. We must hold clear and firmly to truth because we are the light of the world. And if we don't speak truth and we don't call out what is wrong, wrong, no one else will. We are the city on a hill and we don't hide ourselves. You know, we don't light a lamp and put a basket over it. We have to do that. Sin should anger us. It should frustrate us. A call to submission is not a call to silence. But there is a way to be like Jesus. And to shine that light in a way that people know We care about their souls. That's what I want us to pursue and get. That is what I want the character of this church to be. We don't waver on truth. But we show it and talk about it in a way that people, even if they call us evil, in their minds they think, even though I think they're wrong, They really seem to care about me. That's what I want. And I recognize it's not easy. And I don't pretend to have all the answers. But I want to acknowledge that, and I want to say I believe we can get there with God's help. Exhorting one another and asking for His help. So may God let it be in His mercy.